John 15, 16, I want you to read this out loud about you because these are the direct words of Jesus Christ himself about you. So you can tune out every other voice but Jesus when you read this about you. So let's say it out loud together. Ready? John 15, 16. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. We've been talking about this tag. You've been tagged by God. You must be trained by God to fulfill the task from God. Everybody has that. You have been tagged by God, but you must be trained by God in order to fulfill the task from God. And every one of you have been tagged. Now, how many of you love it when you're chosen by God and you're tagged? You love it? How many of you love that? Everybody love it? Those of you at home, you love that. Amen. Well, I want you to tell your neighbor this because everybody loves being tagged by God, but you got to understand, if you're tagged, you're a target. I know that doesn't sound real faith-filled, but just trust me, you'll, you'll, you'll get it in a minute. Look at your neighbor and say, if you're tagged, you're a target, amen, and you can be seated in the house of God. So we're in this last teaching on the life of Elijah, and uh, we talked about the power of prayer last week and Elijah's prayer. And you remember what happened out of that, why that, why that prayer was occurring, was he just had this huge victory. I mean, remember, there had been 19 consecutive evil kings in the northern tribes of Israel, 19 over a 200-year span, and God tells him to confront King Ahab and uh, Jezebel. You remember the story. And uh, remember the, the prophets of Baal, 450, got up there, built their altar, put a sacrifice on it, danced from morning till night, and asking fire to come down. No fire came down. Elijah said, step aside. He builds the altar back up, puts the sacrifice on there, puts water on it, dumps it on there. He calls on God in that moment, whoosh, fire hits the, the sacrifice. And in that one day, a spiritual awakening happened in that nation, in Israel, that one moment and everybody turned to God and 450 ungodly prophets of Baal were destroyed that day. I mean, what an example of a spiritual awakening that happened in a moment. Folks, you have no idea what will awaken the United States of America. One moment can change everything. I'm telling you, one moment can change everything in this country. One moment. It did for Elijah and it can for us. One moment. A spiritual awakening happens I mean, what an example of faith and courage this guy had to stand up against. He's the only guy standing up against the leader of this nation. 19 consecutive evil kings, and boom, all of a sudden, everything turns around. It's amazing. But all of a sudden, this guy has this huge victory, then prays for rain that hasn't come in three and a half years, and wow, here comes this monsoon, and buddy, everybody's seeing the blessing because they hadn't had rain for three and a half years. Everything changes, and you think this guy... Man, most popular guy, but all of a sudden he goes from being victorious to being a victim and even more hated by Ahab's wife, Jezebel. She was the queen of Israel at this time. And look what happens after the rain pours down. I mean, after all these prophets were killed, national awakening, and look what happens in verse 1 of 1 Kings 19. Come on, join me. 
It says, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, now just note that for a second. She sent a messenger to go to him, a messenger to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid. Elijah was afraid, and what did he do, everybody? He tucks tail and runs because this woman with a motor on each side of her mouth tells her, I'm going to kill you like I killed, because she's been killing these men of God already. They've been hiding out. The men of God have been hiding. She's killing them. But now all of her prophets, all her prophets get destroyed, and she says, tomorrow I'm going to do to you what I've done to everybody, and I'm sending this message to tell you. And all of a sudden, this guy that had this great move of God in one moment runs to the desert, and then when you read the story, go read the story. He gets out there and says, God, I've had enough of this. He just had a big victory. He says, I'm done. And then he prays, Lord, let me die. The guy just turned a whole nation around, and now he's praying, I want to die. Lord, just take me out. And then the Bible says he hides in a cave in isolation by himself, and he goes into the deepest depression you could ever imagine. This guy God just used, this guy tagged by God for a task from God, trained by God, triumphs through God, is now in the deepest depression you could ever imagine, running for his life. He goes from fearless to frightened, from victor to victim, from deliverer to depressed, just like that, because of what some woman full of demon spirits said to him through a messenger. But I'm going to tell you something, what God saw in this guy. He didn't say, man, get, suck it up. Come on, think positive. Come on, suck it up. God didn't say that to him. God gave Elijah a way out of the deepest depression that he'd ever went through. And I just have a feeling that if you know you're tagged by God and some of you have been saying, God, I've been studying this message. I've been studying Elijah and the Bible tells us in James that he's just like me. He, he was just a human, just like me. Well, God, if man that I am starting to believe in God, have you noticed that since you started believing that you have an opposition with Satan? Once you know you're tagged, he's been trying to target you. And some of you just getting in deep depression. You've been praying for things in your life and just get in depression. Well, I'm going to tell you, if God brought him out, how many know he's trying to teach us how to get out? So you say, well, 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 well I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just super positive all the time. Well, God bless you. <laughs> and when you're done living your deluded life, we'll pray for you. But people wonder, who, who gets depressed? I mean, come on, we're all supposed to be up, chipper, cheery, Jesus followers, always have a smile on our face, never have a down day. Let me tell you who the recipients of depression are. Let me tell you who the recipients of depression are. Everyone gets depressed. Everyone. It's called the common cold of emotional illness. Everyone gets depressed. And what triggers it may be different for you than it is for me. It can be triggered by just financial difficulties. You come in, you, you, you're getting ready to retire, and you thought the investment was there, and it's not there, or the stock market has kind of 
bottom out going crazy and you don't know how am I gonna live and you get depressed? Some of you lost your job. Companies saying we're not sure how we're gonna approach what's going on in the economy. Some of you are here through broken relationships. They said they were gonna be with me forever. They said they, they always loved me and then I find out that they've been doing something else behind my back. Some of you could just be a family crisis that hits your family and you were not ready for this and you're going, God, where are you? Everybody, this is a house of miracles, but God, where are you for me? Okay? Some of you, some of you right now just got unexplained tragedy, stuff that it wasn't your fault. It just, it's just unexplained tragedy and you're just in the depths of despair. It can be a, the death of a loved one so close to you and all of a sudden you're going, God, why? It could be a prolonged illness, dialysis after dialysis after dialysis, and doctor after doctor, and specialist after specialist, and, and, and all of a sudden the enemy takes that vulnerability of life that you're facing and then starts plummeting you with the depths of depression where you want to hide in a cave and you're all by yourself. And it may even be the reason why you're staying distant from people. And don't even want to be around people. You're just saying, I'm just not there. Now, I'm not talking about clinical depression because there are some folks there, there's a medical problem going on here. A medical problem. It could be a chemical imbalance within the body. And I encourage people, when you're going through that, you, you need to make sure that if there's something that a doctor can help you with, you, it, because something medically is going wrong, you need to assess that because something can easily be tweaked just by something like that. But I'm not talking about clinical depression. I'm talking about where you're just in this deep, dark funk. You're going through this season of despair, these blahs, and you're just saying, I don't understand it. Well, I'm just going to tell you, the godliest people that you know experience the depths of depression. The godliest people you know. And it doesn't mean that they're unspiritual. It doesn't mean that there's sin in their life. I'm just telling you, the enemy takes advantage of things that trigger those people that are the recipients. Because the godliest people can have it. And I don't care. I, I'm, a, I'm a guy that believes the word of faith. I'm a guy that's positive in confession. I'm a guy that looks at hope and a slap across the face. Okay? That's the kind of guy I am. But I mean, some people in church are going, well, you just hadn't prayed enough. You just hadn't memorized the word enough. You just, you, just, you just need to change your diet. It's your diet. That's the problem. No, you need to read more scripture here. Listen to this podcast because I'm going to tell you, I start doing this and I don't have a problem with depression anymore. You, you know what? I hear these people and they say, I never have a run-in with the devil. He just doesn't want to mess with me. Well, I've come to the conclusion. The reason why some people never have a run-in with the devil, it's because they're both going the same direction. Okay? Listen here, motor scooter. You start praying for the salvation of your son or your daughter, you watch every devil in hell come after your task. You start believing God to raise a godly family in the image of God. You watch Satan come after. You start giving your finances to the kingdom of God. You watch him come after your money. I promise you, the enemy is not happy when you know you have been tagged by God. I'll be willing to be trained by God to fulfill the task from God. You just watch him, but I've got a word for you. You're in good company because some of the most godly people that did great things for God were in the death. Look at Moses. Look at Moses. Moses got depressed because Israel was backsliding. I mean, he went into deep depression. Just study his life. The Bible is real clear. Look, look at Job. Look what Job said. Job said, why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Job said that. Look what David, king, the king, the leader. 
Look at look what he said in Psalm 6, 6. He says, I am worn out from groaning all night long. I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. You want to talk about despair on some of the most godly leaders that God used. So when you're going through it, do not let the devil condemn you. Do not let him beat you up. Know that something is going on and I need to respond properly to this. Because even the godliest people get depressed. Even Elijah got depressed. And if they experienced, how many know you and I will have those seasons where we experience it? But here is the good news for every Jesus follower. Psalm 30, verse 5. Weeping may last through the night, but how many thank God? Joy comes with the morning. Amen. There is a season and you're going to come out of this. But first of all, don't think you're weird. Don't condemn yourself. Every strong, one, some of the strongest, godliest men and women in the Word of God went through this. And the enemy tries to do it to destroy your faith. But you're a wise believer. You know how I know? Because you're here listening this morning. So everyone is a recipient of this. But what are the reasons that can trigger it? I want us to look at the life of Elijah, and if we can just study what he went through for a moment, I think it may maybe help you and me a little bit figure out, well, why are the reasons behind it? Well, what are some of the reasons behind it? I'm going to give you four mistakes that I see him making that you and I can make real easy. And here's the first thing. It's following faulty feelings. Not false feelings, faulty feelings. It is true you are experiencing the feeling, deal with it. It's a real feeling. But I can also tell you that the feeling you may be having could be faulty and flawed. Let me show you verse, verse 4, 1 Kings 19.4. He says, he came to the broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Y'all, he just turned a whole nation around. He just brought rain from heaven through his prayer. And he's praying, let me die. I've had enough. And here's what was happening. He was feeling like a failure because he ran from this woman. So since he felt like a failure, he believed he was a failure. It's what we call emotional reasoning. And emotional reasoning can be very destructive for any person. That what I feel must be what I am. Let me say it again. Because I feel I'm this way, that is who I am. Because I, have failed, because I feel like a failure, I must be a failure. My life is a failure. How many thank God that failure is an event, not a person? It's not a person. It's an event. So if I feel this, then it must be true. I've watched, marriage, I've watched couples get depressed in their marriage because they don't feel they are in love. I've seen people make life-altering decisions that were destructive because they did emotional reason. They let feelings be more superior than the truth of the Word of God. I watched it a lot. He started fault here. I mean, this, and this was a man of God who was in tune with God. How more vulnerable would you be if you turn away from the Word of God? This guy started following some faulty feelings. See, feelings, if I can put it this way, feelings follow thoughts like a caboose follows a locomotive. 
if the locomotive of thoughts, watch, if the thought locomotive goes down into the valley, guess what's going to happen? The caboose of feelings is going to come and follow right behind it. So what does that mean? That when all of a sudden my thoughts go into the valley, I've got to turn this thing around and start putting the right thoughts about what's going on here back into my heart. And feelings are going to pull and they're going to drag on me and they're going to weigh me down, but keep my thoughts. Don't let feelings run it. Let thought and the higher thoughts of God run this thing. So many people do this to make a decision just based on these kind of things. Because I'll just be honest with you. I've been serving God. You know, I got saved when I was nine years old. Okay? That's, I remember when I gave my heart to Jesus. I was nine years old when I first gave my heart to Jesus. I've done a lot of dumb things on that journey. And the spirit of stupid hit me many times. And, but I, was, and I gave my heart to Jesus when I was nine. And I'm going to tell you, from the time I was nine till the time I'm the age I am today, there are days I do not feel saved. And so many people say, well, I don't feel like I'm saved, so I'm not. But do you know what? I do not let the thought locomotive, I do not let the feelings be the one that runs the train. I take my thought locomotive when I'm going down the valley and say, wait a minute, what does God's word say about Sam Reifkogel? It says if he believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, he shall be saved and his house is coming with him too, no matter if it's pulling down like this or not. When all of a sudden I don't think that I can overcome, come on, I know that the old man has gone away and the new man has arrived. Come on, there's therefore now no condemnation who stay in Christ Jesus. I keep my thoughts, keep your mind on him, keep your thoughts on him. You gotta let the word run your thoughts. That's why I'm telling folks, quit letting your feelings determine what you do with your marriage, what you do with your sex life, what you do with your money, what you do with this culture. Do not let the culture feelings be the one that run you. You've got to let the word of God lead your life. Because it's the only one that's not faulty. His first mistake, he started following faulty feelings. I'm not denying you don't feel it. I'm telling you that the heart, the Bible says, can be deceitfully wicked. Second mistake. Oh, there's, look at this. And we do this. This brings depression. There's some reasons. Comparing your calling. I've been tasked with a job. Don't compare what God anointed you to do with what I do. You will be the most depressed person in the world. Start comparing your calling. No, watch, he did it. Watch, 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 watch. This is so cool. You see it. Verse 4, look what he says. I've had enough. He said, take my life. Now watch. I'm no better than my mom because she's a better cook than me. She raised kids better than me. My business is not as good as his business. My body doesn't look like her body. I don't have the money he has. I wish my kids would behave better like their kids. I am preaching better than y'all letting on. Have I struck a nerve here or what did I do? I watch people jumping from job to job to job, not because God's telling them, because you're frustrated with your task from God. Look what he said. I am no better than my ancestors. Comparing yourself to other people will take you into the depths of depression like you will never know. You're at retirement age, and I don't have enough, and my other friends have more than I have. It will take you into the depression toilet in five seconds. 
because you compare yourself to other people. Well, I just, if I could just be happy like so-and-so. You're living by their Instagram version of life. Everything on Facebook is a snapshot. They're smiling. Why, they got to go to Tahiti. If you'd have just, if I'd have just married Johnny, we'd be in Tahiti. Johnny has maxed out his American Express, his MasterCard, and his Visa. I'm serious. We do it all the time. Young people, so many of you are comparing yourself to Instagram versions of what another girl likes, what another guy is like, what a success. Don't suck into the Instagram version of people. It's exactly that, instant. As quick as it came is as quick as it can go. And it's probably not true anyway because, man, are they using filters like crazy. You know they're lying. Look, you're the only person that is you, so please be it. Please be it. Well, why can't I be like her? Why can't I be? How come we're not doing this? Stop. It'll take you into the toilet so fast. If I compared myself to other preachers, oh my word. Because they all want to be like Sam Rife. <laughs> Stop, don't it, don't do that. You're gonna mess me up. Stop applauding. Look at King David and Saul. Look at this. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you. I don't care if you're the president of the United States. This guy was the king of the nation. I want you to look at 1 Samuel 18, verse 6. Look at this. David had just killed Goliath. He's a shepherd boy. He doesn't even wear a crown yet. It says, when the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women came from all the towns of Israel, came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. Watch this. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. Watch this. And Saul, this made Saul very angry. Why? Because he started comparing his task to someone else's task. And he started, and oh, it wasn't Saul. It's usually, listen, it's usually not you. It's the people around you that get it started. You say something stupid like everybody wants to be up here and everybody applauds and you're just going crazy over it. It was the women saying it. Saul's killed his thousand, but David, tens of thousands. Younger, quicker, better looking. And this made him angry over his assignment. He starts throwing spears and he destroys his entire assignment in life because he compared himself. Wow. Can you just be the baddest you that God made? That means good, bad, okay? Would you just for a moment, you say, so serious, I'm so serious. Would you stop comparing yourself to other grandparents? Would you stop it? Just, st- everybody say, stop it. Just stop it. Everybody look at your thumb. Look at it. It's not, just look at your thumb. Look at your thumb. Please look at your thumb. Look at that thumbprint. Do you know that nobody in the entire universe 
has another copy of that thumbprint, you're the only one that God created. Do you know that? Do you understand how so unique this is a thumbprint? Do you know that once, not one snowflake that has ever fallen out of the Michigan skies, and there's been a ton of them, has never been the same pattern? Do you know that when you stuck your feet in the warm sands this summer on the beach, do you know not one grain of sand is the same shape? Now, if God is going to take that much time with a grain of sand and with and with a thumbprint, and with a flake. Don't you think God is going to take just a little bit more time with you that if he fearfully and wonderfully made you, that he's got an assignment, a task, so stop comparing yourself against other moms, other dads, other families, other churches, and just be who, the only thing that matters, listen, the only person's opinion that matters is God's opinion of you, and he says you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and I have an assignment for your life. Stop comparing your money, your time, your looks. Just stop. It'll take you into the toilet of depression. I wish I had more time here. Here's another mistake he made. It's playing the blame game. The blame game. This is a big one. It'll take you into depression. Verse 10. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your, your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. Now Elijah is blaming himself for failing to change the nation, he thinks. He took it personally as if I was supposed to get this done. You put me on assignment and it didn't happen. Some of you have tried things that you felt was assignment and you don't think they happened. When you assume a responsibility that God never intended for you to take on, the burden is way too heavy for you so you will take yourself into depression. Because here's the deal I know. I cannot control the actions of any other people around me, not my wife, not my son, not my grandkids, not the church, not my leaders. I am responsible for Sam Reifkogel's action, and I take responsibility for them. I cannot assume the responsibility because someone didn't do what I felt they should do and then take it personally. You can do that raising children. Let me tell you, the ones who get it the most are parents, especially when your kids fail you and fail you in a big-time way. You're not even talking to them anymore. And then parents carry that burden and that shame. I, it was my, my mess up. If I'd have just done this in my marriage, if I'd have just done this with them, if I'd just said this, if I'd have done this, if, this, if I spent more time, I'd done I'm telling you, the enemy will just take you over the coals so bad. And let me just put it to you another way. Some of you are taking way too much credit for how your kid turned out. It's not just assuming responsibility. You're taking it as if you're the one that pulled it off. Well, you know, you know what the proverb says, Pastor. Train up a child in the way she should go. When they're old, they're not depart from it. And that's because of me. I get it. I get it. But there are some parents that did everything right and their kid isn't serving God. And here's what you got to understand. That is a proverb, not a promise. That is a proverb, not a promise. It's a principle. Sure, your example is going to influence him. I get it. But it is not a promise. It is not a guarantee. So here's what you ought to do. If your kid does something great and they're serving Jesus, you ought to get down on your knees and say, God, you know me and you know all my flaws. You're the one responsible for that kid somehow getting something that they're serving God and doing something right. Quit, quit taking the responsibility of saying, I did it. It'll mess you up. Because here's what messes up. When all of a sudden they get a grade A, well, it's because of me. 
Because me. Well, what if they fail you, they drop out, become a drug addict, and go into a lifestyle that you just think is absolutely reprehensible to you? Then you start wearing that down and you're in depression because now you're blaming yourself. Some parents take on way too much. Here's what you're responsible. I don't set the example. I get it. It influences Brenda. It influences my kids. I get it. I get that. I understand that. But I cannot make the end of it be, I do this because I want my kids to be right. I want Brenda to be right. I do this because Jesus Christ has put his hand on me, and I'm so grateful for what you've done that I want to please him in every single thing I do. And somehow in everything I please him doing, somehow they catch it, you catch it, somebody else catches it. And somehow someone is attracted to Jesus just by me simply loving him and being the example. Say, God, I want to just be this for you, not so I can change everybody around me. I got to hurry. Mistake number two, no, number three, playing the blame game. Here's the last one, mistake, reasons why it happens. You amplify your adversary. You make your problem and you make your enemy bigger than what they really are. Oh, have you ever had that happen to you? I mean, all of a sudden you hear something banging up against the house and you got some burglar outside. You got the Glock out. You got every door locked. You check them. You're going through the house, man. You're... you're you're playing SWAT, coming around deals, you're, and it's just this stupid limb, just bang, 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 bang. Have you ever made something bigger than what it really is? Let me show you how big it got for him. And this is a man of God who's in touch with God, everybody. I'm telling you, you amplify your adversary. Verse 10, he says, I am the only one left. <laughs> you know why he felt that? Because he isolated himself. And it wasn't true. I'm the only, this is why you need to be in a small group. I'm just, I'm just going to tell you, this is why you need to be in a small group. Just go to the app, sign up. You need to be in a small group. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Who is they? It wasn't they. It was one loud mouth woman that couldn't control her tongue. It was Jezebel. It was not they. Ahab is going, hey, I'll do whatever the guy says. He tells me to run. I'm going to get me something to eat. He's, they, her husband is obeying the man of God now. He tells his wife, this is what he did. I mean, this stuff's got just, hey, he's fallen. It is one woman that he's afraid of. One. Uno. One. It was only one woman that was against him, one person that was violently against him, and her threat wasn't even real. This woman was afraid of what God would do to her, and she knew it. She was backed into a corner, going to lose her power and control, and she knew it, and she feared God. Let me tell you why. Because she let the man of God get away and run into the desert. She really didn't want to kill him. She just wanted to make him look like a coward. She's a manipulator. She wanted him to look like a coward. She didn't want to kill him. She was afraid to go after him. And I can prove it to you that she, I can prove it to you she didn't want to kill him. It's in the first text that we read when we talked about Elijah. It said she sent a messenger to go tell Elijah, this is what I'm going to do to you. Why in the thunder would you send a postman? Why don't you send a hitman? 
if you really wanted to kill him, you'd have had the guy walk up to him. Instead of a message, you stuck a dagger in his gullet and let him drop dead because she lied. She knew she couldn't kill him. She was afraid of God. She just wanted to make this man of God look like a coward. And in his mind, he blew up something bigger than it really, really was. And God says to Elijah, Elijah, don't feel, think. Stop feeling, Elijah, and think of what I said to you. And then God tells him, there are 7,000 prophets. You say you're all alone, but there are 7,000 prophets who are ready. They haven't bent a knee, and they love me with all their heart. He said, you're not going to die. In fact, how many know Elijah never physically died? He never died. Read the Bible. It really helps. He didn't even die. She says, you're going to kill me. He didn't even die. The Bible says God took him up in a chariot of fire. Why? And God's saying to Elijah, Elijah, Jezebel can't take you out because I have plans to take you up in a chariot of fire. And I'm going to tell you something, friends. The same goes for you right now. If the devil could have taken your faith, he would have done it a long time ago. And here's the bottom line. Since you gave your life to Jesus Christ, hell is not in charge of your life or your destiny. You belong to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Don't allow fiends to compare yourself and amplify the enemy. Don't let him do it. God's hand is on you. God's hand is on you. This is why the attack is happening. This is why the despair, because God's hand is on you. God bless you. You know, this is ministering to me. You think this was for you. I do these messages for me. I'm getting something. I'm getting something. Stop amplifying your enemy. God is bigger than the stock market. Please quit acting like it's God. Please. Please. And thank God there's recovery. Can I give you some practical things if you're going through it? Let me give you some recovery. Just real quick. Let me give it to you. Here's number one. If you're going through it right now, you're going through it right now, can I give you one admonition that will help you so much? Would you take care of your physical body? Please take care of yourself. Look at verse five. Watch this. How many thank God? How many thank God that God's word is so open and shows the vulnerability of people, but also shows here's how you, here's how you get out? Watch this. Verse five. God says, then he laid down, then he laid down under the tree and fell asleep. Everybody say, fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And he looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. Look at this. God, listen, it's just not about taking care of your body. There are supernatural things that God is sending the people of God who will listen to him. Watch this. He ate and drank, then he lay down. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, get up and eat. There are people around you that you don't need to ignore that are like angels from God that says, let me help you here. And he's saying, take care of your body. God's first step of restoration for Elijah from depression was get you some sleep, get rest, food, 
and relax. I like that. Church, I'm telling you, a good night's sleep will do you wonders. Mental, physical and mental fatigue is heightened through vulnerability to depression. So can I just tell you something so simple? Get a good night's sleep. God is in control of this thing. You say, well, I don't know what's going to turn. I promise you, when you wake up, it'll still be there tomorrow. Don't worry. Go to bed. Go get you a milkshake and hit the sack. No, no, don't do milkshake. That sugar will keep you up. Have you some extra sleepy time tea and go to bed. Go to bed. Either it's God's or it's not God's. Go to bed. Eat you a good meal. And for crying out loud, go out and have yourself some fun. Seriously, relax, chill. Here's the second thing, cling to God's presence. I cannot tell you how important, I cannot, ex- I cannot tell you enough how important this is. God asked him a question, so God's talking to him. Let God speak to you during this time. <sighs> what are you doing here, Elijah? I want the musicians to come. He says, what, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. You know what I love about God here? He just lets the dude blow off steam. If you're ticked off and angry, and I hate, I prayed, and I believed, and God, it's not turning out the way I want, and this is what I want to do. You know what? God has some pretty big shoulders. He will allow you just to blow off your steam. Would you just blow off your steam to him instead of doing it on Facebook? It really is a better place. Because when you do that, everybody thinks you're nuts. But God doesn't. He just says, tell me what's going on. Go ahead. You're mad at me? Tell me you're mad at me because you didn't think I should have intervened like I should have intervened. The way... Your expectations were meeting. So God didn't rebuke him. God didn't even pick on him. Say, how dare you talk to me? Don't you know I'm the most God Almighty? How dare you speak to me that way? Didn't do it. Let him blow it off. Come on, talk to me. And then he gets, says, get in God's presence. And here's what the Lord says, verse 11. It says, then the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the what? Presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. Then you know the story. A powerful wind went by. Tore the mountain apart. Then it says, but the Lord was not in the wind. Then an earthquake came and shook everything. It says, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. Then fire fell like he saw come down Mount Carmel. Surely God's in it. Everybody's going, this is going to turn around. Fire came, but even God's presence and voice was not in the fire. And look at this. Verse 12. It says, and, a fi- and after the fire came a gentle, what? Whisper. Verse 13 says, then a voice said to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here, Elijah? You don't belong in a cave. You don't belong running. Now just get in my presence. Because here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring you back to the reason why you were tagged. Come back to your purpose. And now he's listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And look at verse 15. Then the Lord said to him, watch this, go back the way you come 
and go to the desert of Damascus. Because here's what God was getting ready to do. God was saying, I got a new assignment. I got a new task for you. Then he tells him, I want you to go anoint the king. He said, then I want you to anoint Jehu, king over Israel. He said, then I want you to anoint another guy that I want you to get ready to tag by the name of Elisha as a prophet. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to start investing in the people around you and get back to your assignment because the calling was not about you. The rejection they may have had was not about you. It's about the people around you and my glory being seen in all these people. So I want you to go and anoint these kings and I want you to go anoint Elisha because I've got you. He says, get up and go back that way and start investing in the next generation. Let me tell you the greatest thing you can do in the depths of despair is let God get you back to your assignment of what you ought to be doing. The quickest way to get defeated, I'll tell you, is to just sit there in self-pity and in isolation. It's the quickest way to get, but God is telling you it's time for you to get your eyes off yourself and start getting your eyes back on me. Start getting back your eyes back on your purpose. And I just believe that this morning God's getting ready to do that. In fact, I'm going to tell you some of the happiest people I meet in this church, seriously, are the people that are serving other people. <laughs> seriously, happiest people I meet serving other people. And I believe that because Proverbs 11:25 says, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. He says, get back to your assignment of blessing other people. Get back to it. Get back to it. I don't know where you are in all this, but I pray there's something that you will take into the presence of God and say, Holy Spirit, would you speak to me? Would you speak to me? Some of you are looking for this earthquake experience where something happens and boom, God does this big miracle or Boom, there's a shaking hand on your head and you fall out under the power of God. Or boom, you just there's something that's just big and, and God's just saying, it's not in the earthquake, it's not in the fire. Would you just rest in my presence and let my voice talk to you about your next assignment? And I promise you, how I many know he's gonna show you? You may be a target, but I promise you, friends, God has an assignment for you that'll make you feel so fulfilled in your life because you obeyed him. How many are you ready to do that today? Amen.